you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 121. We are being discipled by the Psalms of Ascent this summer. We talked about this last week that the metaphor that the Psalms of Ascent help us with is that we, God is, we are on a journey from this place going up to where God dwells, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And of course, the, the twist is that the, the heavenly Jerusalem is going to come down to us. But, but from our perspective, we're, we're, on a, we're on a journey. We're running a race. We're, we're like Israel walking through the desert, uh, heading up, and it was literally geographically up to Jerusalem. And uh, so we are pilgrims. We're following Jesus on his path of peace to the city of peace. And as you're going to see this morning, because this journey of following Jesus is full of all kinds of detours, uh, dangers, distractions, uh, we need help. And that's, that's what Psalm 121 is all about, is now that we've committed to go in this direction, um, who's going to help us on this journey? through all the troubles we're going to face. And, that, and this is what the psalm is calling us to do, to trust the Lord, uh, the maker of heaven and earth. And so let's read Psalm 121 and, met, and pray and meditate on this. This is God's word. I lift my eyes, lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, his word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our help comes from you. Uh, the, the maker of the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the one who has formed us from the dust of the earth, the one who has given us breath. And now as Christians, we can say you are the one who gave us new life. Uh, you've caused us to be born again into this kingdom, uh, following Jesus who loved us to death on a cross. And so I pray that this, as we meditate on this psalm, you would restore our faith, deepen our trust, and show us the personal ways you are protecting, guiding, and leading us uh, through this life together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've ever planned a trip uh, up to the Adirondacks and into the mountains, uh, you know if you don't plan, it's not going to go well for you, right? There are, there's very real risks to go on a journey, even, even in the Adirondacks. You know, it seems like every year I re find an article about um, some young, over-eager, um, perhaps unaware, <laughs> uh, young, young adults who decide they want to climb some high peaks. And, they, and so they grab their shorts, they grab their sneakers, and they don't realize two-thirds of the way up there's snow, um, that there's not enough water, right? And, and they, get, they find out they need to get rescued. But if you go on a long journey and you're going to camp several days, you know that the sun is a danger. Uh, 
sunstroke is a real, a real thing where you not only do you get cranky, but you f your body physically overheats and you can't keep going. Um, you can stumble, you can sprain an ankle. Uh, there's this thing called uh, lunacy, right? There's a weird part in the psalm where it says he's going to protect you from the moon, and most of us don't think about being the moon being a threat, but that's where the word lunacy comes from, is, is from the moon in, in the Latin and, and or Greek. I'll, someone can correct me on that later. <laughs> but it's the idea is your emotions. You just get emotionally unwell. So what, what, what they're talking about being protected from the moon, we would say you, have, uh, you just get emotionally exhausted and overwhelmed, mental health issues. Right? And so there's risks. And then you add the dangers in the, in the ancient world. If you're going to go through the mountains, uh, it is a great place to be mugged, right? So we would say avoid the bad neighborhood. When we moved to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, there's these very sweet older ladies that said, when you leave the seminary campus, don't turn left. <laughs> it's like, and we'd been there for like a day, um, right? Because they're, they're saying if you go into these, these corners, it may not be safe for you because evil is always ready lurking, unannounced, ready to mug, where you find yourself in the shoes of the needing a good Samaritan. And so, Psalm 121 says, in the presence of all these very real risks of being human and, and following Jesus and following the Lord, uh, we need help, right? Because we swim through a flood of mortal ills, as Martin Luther wrote. Right? We need help. We need someone to, to lean on to protect us from evil and evil's power. And I know when, when we read it, perhaps you had the same thought that it sounds like God is saying you will not suffer any of those things, right? No sprained ankles, uh, no emotional breakdowns. Wouldn't that be great? Um, to never fall apart physically because the heat of the sun is too much. Like it sounds like at first read, and, and some Christians have over read too much into this, that, it, that to, have, to be a follower of the Lord is to have the Lord spare you from pain and trouble. Because the Lord will keep you from all evil. And I know from talking to you and in our own experience, um, right, that's just not true. <laughs> right? if, if the promise of the psalm was freedom from pain, how would you feel if you twisted your ankle or broke, a, broke your leg or found yourself just crushed by anxiety or depression? Right? Say, God, you lied to me. And some Christians go there and they, they walk away. Right? Or, or you beat up yourself and say, maybe I was never a true Christian to begin with and you pull out your long list of reasons why you don't deserve God's help which doesn't take much effort because we're all moral failures as we just confessed this morning. It's not a healthy way to read the psalm. That's not what it's saying. No, what, it, what Psalm 121 does is give us assurance of God's providence when we go through pain, that we have help to lead us through so that evil does not overwhelm, rule, or crush us. And so that's my goal this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a great one to memorize is to look and see uh, the Lord's providence and how he protects us. How, and providence, as we read, is that, that old word saying, look at how the Lord is involved in every nook and cranny of your life in order to get you 
to the new heavens and new earth. It's part of his plan. And so, let's, let's meditate on this. Uh, point one, where does my help come from? And that's the question of verse one. When the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? And you can tell this is like something you would chant or it sounds very liturgical the way we, we, we do our service here where he's asking a question. And so this is most likely a person who is making this journey from their home, potentially out, way out in exile, uh, or just not in Israel, but they're making their way up to Jerusalem, the city of peace, and they're literally looking at hills. They're literally looking at mountains the same way as you, you head up to Lake George. You can't, you can't miss them. You're going up. And so the question we have in just trying to understand the text is why, why would they look up to the hills for help? What does it mean by looking to the hills? And there's, there's a few possibilities here. Um, one possibility is looking to the hills in dread. It's a dangerous place. Because in the ancient world, that's where the bad guys hung out. Uh, the road to and from Jerusalem was known to be dangerous. Right? Jesus told a parable to that effect. Remember the story of a man who went down to Jericho from Jerusalem through the mountains, and some men came upon him, beat him, and left him for dead. Right? So it's possible that to look up to the hills is just to be afraid, to dread the future because it's terrifying. I could get hurt. Who's going to defend me? Maybe that's what he's saying. Another option is in Psalm 11, when, when, when David's life is not going well, he, sa he says, uh, people are saying to me, I should flee like a bird to the mountains to go find refuge. Right? Where you can, the mountains were also a place you could hide. Right? You could hide to mug somebody. You could also hide from people. <laughs> um, the third option, and I think this is the most likely one, and this is what, where I'm, I'm leaning, is that uh, the hills in Israel's day uh, were places of worship. Uh, when, you, when, when Israel was constantly getting in trouble, it's because they weren't going to Jerusalem. They were going up to these hills, to these, other, these altars to other gods. Um, so, you know, they talk about in the Old Testament, you'll read about the high places where they're sacrificing to Baal and to these other gods around them, and they're acting like their neighbors instead of showing allegiance to the Lord. And so, if it's read like that, then it's like, Lord, this journey is dangerous. I look, my eyes look to the hills. Which God is going to help me? Right? Which God's going to help me? Right? And so, as I you put all this together, I mean, that's that's really what this is: is life is dangerous. Life is hard. It's full of trouble and tribulation. Who has the ability to be my help, to help me? Because there are things I cannot, there are battles I cannot face on my own because I'm afraid of the future. All right? And this, this makes sense. So if you start, you got the ancient context. This is how fear works, isn't it? In your own heart, what do you do when you're afraid? Your eyes immediately look around for a safe place. Right? Or we look for options to not have to look at what's terrifying. Or we constantly stare at what's terrifying, right? It's just watching the stock market go up and down. Um, but our eyes look to the hills. We look around for help. Right? I've got a good visual picture. Uh, last week, we just added chickens to our household. 
And one got out. And you know what a chicken looks like when it's afraid and a six-year-old boy is running at it full speed? <laughs> right? Its eyes are darting every which way as its head is saying, where in the world can I find safety? We're like chickens. <laughs> we look, look for help. Looking for relief from wherever we can find it. And so if you're an ordinary Israelite, uh, the question was, do I run to the hills and go find a, a Baal priest or priestess? to protect me from drought, to bless my family. Will Baal keep me safe? Or maybe you go find a sun priest to help connect you to the sun god so that it will keep you safe on your journey. Or maybe you just go looking for all kinds of spells, sacrifices, enchantments to ward off insanity. Protect me from the moon, from all my irrational fears. Right? I mean, Israel would have seen all kinds of options where people are looking for that magic formula to ward off misery and hurt. Right? Does, that, does that not sound human? Uh, look at any quick fix, any commercial, that's saying, you're, if you do not have this product, your life will be miserable. Uh, if you have this product, everyone will be happy, beautiful, wealthy, wise, and smiling. Right? So are we any different? My eyes look to the hills, looking for help. We're, f we're afraid. There's very real reasons to, to dread the future. Life is dangerous. Right. I found John Calvin helpful. I, I printed that long quote for you in the bulletin. Um, but Pastor John Calvin, you can tell he, he's talked to people. But he, he writes in, in the middle of that, that passage, this is the inconsistency or inconstancy that is natural to us. That is, as soon as we are smitten with any fear, we turn our eyes in every direction. And of course, the result of that is we make long, sketchy quests, or sketchy journeys, he uses the word circuits, looking for remedies to our trouble. And that, that the most unnatural thing we do is to actually cry out to help. Cry out to the Lord for help. Right? Do you hear what he's saying? Dreading the future can feel anxiety creep, creeping up from your gut or maybe from the outside. And our eyes are saying there has to be something out there in the world, in creation, that'll fix this. Right? So where do you look for help? Um, we're really, in our culture, it's really easy to just turn on the TV and just tune everything out, uh, to, to scroll our anxieties away, to amuse ourselves to death, as Neil Postman once wrote. Uh, or, I think this is the other alternative, we're modern people, we lean on, our skill, on ourselves. Um, all right, so we don't run to priests and priestesses <laughs> looking for quick fixes, we look to the internet to, to research. Um, and, and to use our own abilities, strengths, and skills to say, I got this. All right? There's a great illustration of this uh, from a film series called The Decalogue. It's by a Polish director named uh, Kieslowski, and I, I got the recommend recommendation from Ted Turno, so I'll just plug in his, his ministry and conversations he has. But it's this TV series that takes place in the 80s in Poland, and each episode is a meditation on the Ten Commandments. And so the first 
commandment. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so this, that's what this story is meditating on. And so the story is about Christoph, a single dad who's raising his 12-year-old son, Powell. And as a scientist, as a, a really brilliant man, he's training his 12-year-old son to say the way you get through life is to depend on science and your own ability to think things through. Just stop and think and you'll be fine. This is how you're going to cope with a dangerous world. And you, you, you take a glimpse into their apartment. They've got all kinds of computers, which are huge because it's the 80s. <laughs> and he's teaching his 12-year-old son to code their house to get their door to open and shut and turn the water on and off. Right? He's a really smart guy. Well, later in the episode, his son sees a dead dog on the side of the road, frozen. He says, it's cold. He says, Father, is there life after death? And his father gives him this long, depressing answer. He says, you know, life is like turning off a machine. Your life just ends. There is nothing else. In other words, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Me, because there's no one else coming. Well, Powell's aunt is also in the family, and she's taking Powell to church, and she gives a beautiful story about uh, the hope that Jesus gives about resurrection and eternal life and how God, we, we, this is the reason we love each other down on earth. And the story sets up two different ways to live, trusting the Lord your God who delivers you from slavery to death, let him be your help, or um, trust your own abilities, your own reason, your own strength, be your own help. And since Christoph was nothing to do with religion, uh, his answer to that question, where does my help come from, would be me. Does that sound human? It sounds like us. I've got this. It's up to me, my talents, my smarts, my creativity, my skills. Right? This is the world. This is, the world. This is what we're being trained, the way we're trained to think, day in and day out. Right? We'll come back to Christoph later. What does faith say? Right, we're, we're asking that question, where does my help come from? Faith and the community of faith is continually saying this to each other as we're tempted to run away from the Lord. It says, no, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Right? The one who sung the stars into existence. The one who created the sun and moon uh, with a word. He's the one we run to for help. Right? So, so commentator Derek Kidner would say, look, we know someone, something that's better than the hills. And that the psalmist, in the presence of his danger and fear, his heart is leaping beyond all these things that you can see in the universe to the maker of all things. And here in God, you find, find living help, primary. Right? He is the one you have to run to. It's personal help. It's wise help. It's immeasurable help. See, what, what the psalmist wants you and I to do is don't settle for anything less than help from the living God. Our maker. Isn't that astounding? 
I mean, listen to the counsel of John Calvin again, right? That as soon as we are smitten with any fear, we turn our eyes in every direction, but it's faith that draws us back from these crazy, erratic wanderings, and they direct us exclusively back to the living God. And that's what this psalm is here to do. Look to the Lord, the one who delivered you out of slavery, who happens to be the maker of heaven and earth. Don't look to anything in all of creation. Right? And since sin has made us skeptical, we need to be persuaded, and this is a beautiful persuasion. Look at what, how the psalmist goes about persuading us to trust God's providence here, to trust his protection. And this is the second point, how does the Lord help? Um, all right, it says, the Lord is your keeper in verse 5. And that is a Hebrew word for uh, to guard, uh, to protect. It's saying the Lord is your guardian, your defender. All right, you remember we, we talked about this in number 6. That, that, that prayer that the priest would pray over God's people, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Right? Psalm 121 is just expanding. What, is it, what are you saying when you want God to keep you safe, to protect you? Right? To have the Lord as your guardian. And then the first thing you see is look at how personal the Lord's help is. All the pronouns, the personal pronouns here, are singular meaning there's Israel as a community, but you have the right as a follower of the Lord to say, he is my help. This is personal. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord, the Lord is your shade. He's on your right hand. He's right there by your side, escorting you through life's troubles, giving you the shade of his grace and protection. Uh, the Lord will keep your life. Isn't that amazing? This is immensely personal. Right? And, and the, the paradox is you have the Lord, this massive cosmic being who's a, the maker of heaven and earth, who right here in this text is willing to be my help all the way down here on this tiny dirt rock that we call earth <laughs> in this place, in this time. Right? The skeptics will argue that oh, the universe is huge, it's massive, it's ever-expanding, we're just tiny creatures who are on a dirt rock, we're, we're just, we're lucky accidents that we're here. But it's ridiculous in light of how big the cosmos is to say that God would care about you and your stub toe. And this, the psalmist says that is simply not true. Right? It's not true. The, the, the living God cares. The one who commands the sun to run its course each day with joy. Uh, he is the one who cares about where you place each step. He will not let your foot stumble. That's personal. Right? The Lord keeps me. And what it does is in light of the grand cosmos, it gets us to go, who in the world am I that the Lord, my keeper, would think so many thoughts of me? We said that this morning. Right? Every moment you take down to the skin knee, to the really big battles you have with, with sickness and health and death, the psalmist is saying, the Lord will be your help. 
your help. Right? You keep going. It's, it's better help than what the hills have to offer because he does not sleep. He does not slumber. There's nothing that will escape his all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring gaze. Right? And so I, I think one of the... It's, it's impossible not to, to think about that great story between Elijah and the pro- prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Up on the mountains, up on the high places. You can turn there. If you, if you like. But right, we're, we're up in the mountains asking this question, who is the real God? Who is Israel's help? Who should you serve? Who should you ask for help? And Elijah, come, he's the only one serving the Lord, at least in his mind. <laughs> and there are hundreds of these prophets of Baals, and they have this competition, right? And he says, all right, let's prove once and for all who is the real God. Let's, we're going to set up an altar We're going to put an animal for the sacrifice on this thing. And each of us are going to pray to our God to call call down fire from heaven. And the one who actually hears that prayer and responds, that's who you should serve. Right? And so the prophets of Baal go first. And they're starting at dawn, from dawn till noon. They look to the hills for help. They cry out to Baal. And what do they get? crickets. Of course, by noon, Elijah starts to have fun with it. He starts to mock them and says, ah, I can't hear you. Maybe you should aim for his good ear. (laughs) Or perhaps he's just daydreaming and he's just not paying any attention. Or maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. He's on the job. Your God is a bit gassy. (laughs) And then lastly, he says, maybe he's sleeping. Of course, then it escalates. They start cutting themselves. They start shedding their own blood to try and get this God to pay attention, and they get no response. And when it's Elijah's turn, you know what he does? He, he digs a trench around the altar, and then they dump 12 large jars of water, soaking the wood, soaking the animal, and filling the trench. And then he pr- goes to the altar and prays, O Lord, right? the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and you have brought them back to yourself. And fire erupts from heaven, eats up the water-soaked offering, and everyone cries out in fear, worship. The Lord, Yahweh, he is God because he's not asleep. He's, he hears. And that's the psalmist's point, is that you will never find the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, sleeping on the job, distracted. His watchful care never ceases. Right? Yahweh is our keeper. He watches over us while we sleep. He guards us through the night, through the dangerous parts of the evening. And the best part of all, you don't have to shed your blood to get his attention. You don't have to sacrifice yourself to get him to promise to be your keeper. And that turns out, that's what happens if you run anywhere else in the world, in all of creation, for help. It's going to demand your blood, your sweat, your tears, your sacrifice to get them on your side. Right? If you've got to trust yourself, it's going to be your own blood, sweat, and tears. 
carrying yourself through. If you cry out to other gods, they don't have the same conception of grace as we do, right? as the Bible does, as the Lord is. You, every other god, that's, that's the story of the whole Old Testament. You go up to the mountain and you bring your sacrifice. The, the story of Leviticus, bring your sacrifices when you go up, but oh, by the way, I'm the one who gave you those animals so that you may come to me. It's my idea to come down to you. See, the psalmist is trying to persuade my skeptical heart, your skeptical heart, that the Lord will not sleep nor slumber. He's better than any other God. You can trust him. Then it keeps going here. It keeps adding to it. Not only is his help personal and better, it's also immeasurable. And you can see this in verses 7 and 8, that he promises to keep us from all evil, to keep your life, to keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And this is phenomenal news. Right? Because this kind of care we're talking about, a God who's always paying attention, who promises to keep you, to guard you, that protection never goes away. Right? From this time forth, forevermore. It literally never ends. For the Israelite, if you're traveling these dangerous roads uh, to Jerusalem and back every year, because they would, they would go up to Jerusalem three times a year for these different festivals, it's a constant assurance. Here's why I go. I know the Lord will keep me. He promises to be with me, the shade on my right hand. He's right there with me in the journey. Right, again, that's why one commentator said it's, it's hard to decide which is more encouraging the fact that this care starts right now or that it runs on past the end of time and continues into forever because the one who is our help is the Lord, our portion forever. Right? This is the Lord is, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and because he is our keeper, his care never ends. Our security from these evil things that we're going to talk about here in a moment, right? It's connected to his being. His self-declaration that I am your keeper and that will not go away because I am always here. I am Yahweh. He swears to keep you from evil and what Christians and, and Jews, they have never taken the psalm to say, oh, you will not be the Lord will keep you from hurt, right? They never were that naive. Just read the rest of the Psalms. <laughs> they never believed that the, the, the psalmist was saying you're not going to stub your toe or step on a Lego or get sick or experience horrible tragedy and sadness because we live in a fallen world. We are under the rule and reign of death. Now the promise is evil will not rule over you. No distress will dominate you. That nothing in all of creation can separate you from God's plans, purposes, and love. So that should you go through tribulation, should you go through distress, as Paul would write, should you go through nakedness, famine, sword, should you be like the sheep that are be being slaughtered every day like, like Christians are in the last century being persecuted, right? You, you have this 
beautiful psalm saying, the Lord is your keeper. He will guard you. He will protect you. He will guarantee that you get from this life to the new Jerusalem. That's what, it's, that's what it's after, right? Where you can see God's providence and his promise that the saints will persevere coming together to keep us from all evil, to keep your life, to guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You don't go anywhere alone. You have an armed guard, the maker of the heaven and the earth, who gives you shade, the shade of his protection, the shade of his presence, The larger catechism has this great description of the perseverance of the saints, and I'll read this here. It says, true believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God. So this is question 79 if you want to look it up later. So true believers, by the reason of the unchangeable love of God, this is grounded in who he is, and his degree and his covenant to give them perseverance their inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for them, and the Spirit and the seed of God abiding in them means they can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. But you're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. They love to say lots of words (laughs) and pack it all together. Saying, look, if you're connected to, to the Lord... And the Lord is continually interceding for you and you have the spirit and you have uh, the, the, the seed of God's divine nature dwelling in you because you have this, the divine inheritance, which is the spirit. You can't be disconnected from the living God. You are guarded through faith by God, just waiting for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Right? The Lord will keep your life. Uh, Phenomenal news that your, your life, our life, is in the hands of the one who spoke light into darkness. And in this psalm is saying, I'm swearing I will never let darkness overcome you. Right? See, do you know what it's like to have that assurance that you are guarded by God's immovable personal providence that is better than anything in all of creation and immeasurable because it never ends. So then the question is, how do you get in on that? <laughs> right? how, do, how do we as believers tap in and, and get that assurance of God's help? And this will lead us to the table. Right? Because John Calvin was so helpful because he's so honest, as are the rest of the Psalms, that fear causes us to either dart our eyes to God or away from God, and if we're being honest, our eyes often dart away from God more than we like to admit. But it's faith that draws us back. Right? So you remember Christoph, this typical modern rational person who's saying, I don't need God, I've got science, I've got my own skills, talent, reason, and ability. Well, in the story, Powell asks for ice skates for Christmas, and being a 12-year-old kid, being a punk, he was peeking. And sneaking, looking for the presents, and he found them hidden and said, Dad, before Christmas, let me, let me try them out. But they got to make sure the lake is frozen enough. And so Christoph boots up his computer, punches in all his calculations, the weight of his son, 
the thickness of his, the ice, right? He's celebrating computers. This is the 80s. But he figures out, you know, based on computers and my own smarts, the ice should be safe for up to three times Powell's weight. And so later that day, Powell goes off to class, looking forward to coming home from school to go skate. And of course, you can feel where this is going. Um, later that same day, Christoph hears sirens. And he hears through his aunt that some kids have fallen through the ice. And he's so confident in his own help, he actually refuses to believe that it's possible. Because I, I, I did the thinking, I did the math. The ice should be thick enough, it shouldn't break. But then they anxiously can't find their son. He can't find his son. It turns out this teacher was sick and school was canceled and a whole bunch of kids just went to the lake. And a neighbor then confirms that Powell was skating and you, you end up seeing this grieving father who loses a son, who goes into the church and accidentally uh, then destroys an image of Mary and Jesus, knocks over a candle and it looks like Mary is weeping. You know, I've, I saw this a few years ago, and as a dad, of course, cried through it. Um, why in the world would you make a movie like that, apart from just being a depressed artist? <laughs> right? Why make a movie to highlight the importance of saying, you need the living God to have wisdom to live in this world? Why so sad, and why focus on a story on losing a beloved son? And to end specifically in a church to see Mary weeping. Well, where do you see the Lord's unreserved commitment to guard and keep us from all evil, including our own? Where he swears through his own blood, through his own son, right, to be our defender. It's Jesus, the Lord of Psalm 121, who became human, who became vulnerable, who became our guardian, uh, for us fools qualified to think we could run our own lives. And what Jesus does on the cross, you see the Lord, Yahweh, in the flesh, choosing to be defenseless, uh, becoming vulnerable, becoming exposed to, to sorrow and death, to look to the hills and, and ask for help and find that the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He had no shade at his right hand because he was bearing the curse for our sin, for our evil, so that we can pray, Lord, deliver me from evil, lead us not into temptation so that I might get from this point to the new heavens and new earth to be with you. So that you could have that unshakable assurance that nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love. It's phenomenal news. This is where you go when you wonder and question God's protection. The, 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 the clearest argument, so all the questions of why we suffer, the clearest argument we get from God is, look at my son. He has suffered in every way you have suffered. He is not ashamed to call you brothers. He is not ashamed to feel your distress. And now he sits at the right hand of God, having resurrected. And that's the one who is guarding and keeping you from this time forth and forevermore. Right? And since it was the Father's idea to send him, 
Uh, and since it was the Son who died for you, and since the Son, the Father sent the Spirit to dwell with you, uh, you are secure. Right? In Peter's words, in 1 Peter 1, he celebrates, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Where? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And here's the key. You who are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He immediately then goes on to talk about being grieved by trials, but listen to what he says. To be a believer, if you have faith, you are guarded by God's power. And what is God's power like? What is it up to? Read Psalm 121. Right. And Peter ends for these suffering Christians saying, after you have suffered a little while, this is chapter 5, verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, he himself will come, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's keeping is personal. He himself will come. So as your eyes look to the hills for help, right? who will you look to? We have the good news that the maker of heaven and earth comes himself to restore us, to give us strength for each day, to be the shade of his presence. Why would you look anywhere else if he is that committed to you and I? He's even committed to us when we are faithless towards him. That's grace. So let's, as we come to the table, we can truly say, and we're going to taste and experience what we just talked about, that we can say the Lord Jesus Christ will keep your co- going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We are safe, guarded by God's providence in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, your, your personal promise to, to never leave us alone. And so I pray that your kindness that we just heard would lead us to repentance, uh, would lead us to deeper faith, that would lead us away from these things that we look to for help and would draw us back to you. And that we could, as we come to the table now, that we would really taste that reality that it is your grace that has brought us safe thus far, and it is your grace that will lead us home. And so we need to, to feast and, and to taste that you are good, and I pray that you would come meet with us and strengthen our faith for the journey. In Christ's name we ask, amen.